Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. This is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have uh, Dr. Murray Campbell. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the role of vitamin D in prostate cancer and uh, how vitamin D affects the body. So uh, welcome, Dr. Campbell, but I'll call you Murray if that's okay. That's great, and I'm very grateful uh, for the invitation to be here. Yeah, I just have a minimal bio. I see that you're a research scientist at Cedars-Sinai uh, Cancer Center, but uh, please give me a bit of background on yourself, and then you know, we'll talk about your work with vitamin D. Yeah, sure. So I'm a cancer researcher, and I did my sort of undergraduate and graduate training in the UK, some training in the US, uh, and then back to the UK. I guess I've, you know, like a lot of scientists, you know, you tend to have a you're fortunate enough to have uh, experience in different countries. But I've been in the US since 2007, worked at a couple of institutions, and then just moved to Cedars uh, at the beginning of this year. Yeah. Okay. How did you get involved with um, vitamin D? Yeah. So it actually goes back to my uh, postdoctoral training. So that, you know, after you do a PhD and um, do some more research experience, and I, I joined a group, ironically, at Cedar sinai So it's my second time at Cedar sinai So this is in the mid-70s. Uh, mid-70s. It feels like it. No, it was in, in the mid-90s. And um, uh, I joined a group there, and they were they were interested in nuclear receptor signaling and cancer. And vitamin D receptors, a member of the superfamily of human nuclear receptors, which are transcription factors. And, and so that was the work that was going on in the lab. And so obviously I got involved in that. And then, you know, inevitably that that in, inevitably um, sort of pushes your career off in a direction. So rather unwittingly, you end up going down the route often of directions that were determined at quite a sort of junior stage in your career because, you know, you generate momentum in it. Um, so that, that's, that's how it started. Um, why, maybe just for background, why people are interested in nuclear receptors and cancer earlier than that in in the 80s there had been uh, an idea that you could activate certain transcription factors and uh, induce differentiation in a tumor and so that you could control the tumor by controlling its growth and making it a sort of a differentiated less aggressive phenotype and that that actually proved to be very successful in certain leukemias and some of the agents that were doing that in the leukemia arena were ligands that bound to nuclear receptors. So the retinoic acid receptors, and they were bound by retinoid compounds. And so the vitamin D receptors in the same class of transcription factors. And so there was an idea that various cancers could perhaps be controlled with uh, vitamin D signaling. Um, and you know, that's the 1990s and perhaps into the early 2000s. And there was a lot of work. But actually, those studies, uh, I may be kind of jumping ahead to the punchline here, but those studies ultimately were pretty equivocal. So, the you know, the, the cell biology is interesting. The the molecular mechanisms from the scientific perspective are interesting. But the, the clinical trials 
were not successful. And so certainly in prostate cancer, there was a, you know, there was a large clinical trial that ultimately failed. Our rationale for why then we would go back and revisit this was that probably the, the context of genomic ancestry hadn't been considered, i.e. those clinical trials were undertaken at North American institutions and the majority of the men in those clinical trials we had um, European ancestry. And our rationale was that the vitamin D receptor plays perhaps a, a more pivotal role in prostate health and prostate cancer in men of African genomic ancestry than in European genomic ancestry. And, and so although the, the trial was, or that work was maybe at, it aimed at an interesting question, potentially it was the wrong patient group it was directed. All right. So what, what are you studying in regards to vitamin D cancer? So we're interested in, uh, from a genomic perspective, where the vitamin D receptor binds across the genome and how that varies by genomic ancestry. So whether someone has African or European genomic ancestry, I mean, that's where we started, obviously, there's other genomic ancestry. So where it binds, what genes it regulates, and what, what those gene regulation scenarios do to both a, a, a non-malignant prostate cell and then what they would do to a prostate cancer cell. Well, okay. So what does that mean? So people with certain background serum levels of vitamin D uh, experience cancer in one way versus another? Like what, what kind of specifics yeah. were you able to draw from research? Well, so from the recent study we just um, uh, just published at the beginning of the year, we were able to show that the, the vitamin D receptor bound in distinct locations in prostate cells and prostate cancer cells that were derived from uh, men of African genomic ancestry compared to cells derived from men of European genomic ancestry. So that's understanding whether vitamin D receptor binds in the genome and how that relates to gene expression. But we were also lucky enough, you know, as with all these studies, there's a large number of um, authors on the paper because it, it needs so many different resources and insights to sort of pull these studies together. We were lucky enough to collaborate with different folks who had clinical cohorts of tumors from African-American or European-American men and to look at gene expression profiles in those tumors and then relate those gene expression profiles in tumors to what we've been able to identify in cell line studies. And so we had reasonable confidence that what we were seeing in cell lines actually occurred in humans. What are you seeing happen in the tumors and in the cell lines? What do you mean? Are you seeing like epigenetic changes that are correlated with cancers at certain stages or what are you seeing? Yeah, so the the frequency and the significance of where the BDR seems to bind in um, African-American prostate cancer cells is much greater than it is in European-American prostate cancer cells. And then in those, say, those clinical cohorts we had access to, tumor uh, gene expression profiles, we could see genes that we knew had identified in cell lines that were bound by the vitamin D receptor and regulated in African-American cell lines, we could see those genes being regulated and related to serum vitamin D levels in African-American patients. Couldn't see that in the European-American patients. And I think that suggests that just the, the biology of the vitamin D receptor is more prominent in uh, African-American prostate cancer than it is in European-American prostate cancer. And maybe that goes back to why the clinical trials were ultimately um, equivocal, because 
you know, ninety nine percent of the men enrolled in, or I don't know that for sure. I don't know the genomic ancestry of the men who are enrolled in the clinical trial because I don't think it was reported at the time. It's probably fair to assume it was ninety percent European American men, and I think vitamin D receptor just has a less prominent role in the prostate, in the you know, prostate health and prostate cancer of a European American men. Okay, so what is the result of this research? Keep vitamin D levels at certain levels, or I mean, what? Yeah. You know, what did I you mean, find? That there was some correlation, but what did you find? How did it yeah, affect so, cancer? Oh, so so that then um, African American cells certainly are very seem more responsive to vitamin D. So you would you could make an argument for saying that we should think more carefully about what's the appropriate level of vitamin the vitamin D receptor activation of vitamin D it, uh, for for health. And we should think about it in the context of genomic ancestry. So at the moment, obviously, you know, there is if you buy, you know, any product that has vitamin D in it, there's a sort of an RDA, isn't there? There's an amount of vitamin D that's recommended. And those those levels are, are generated by uh, panels of experts that consider all the literature and say, yeah, you know, if you have less than however many thousand units a day or, you know, or whatever, you're at risk of a bone fracture and those sorts of things. And I guess what our result our research is starting to suggest is perhaps you need to think about that not only in the context of well how much vitamin d do you need to prevent bone risk because of course vitamin d plays this big role in calcium absorption but how much do you need for this this other side of its behavior which seems to be controlling epithelial cell growth and differentiation so prostate but presumably uh, mammary gland to uh, intestinal etc and then how much does that vary depending on the genomic ancestry of the individual? You know, is, is it, um, I guess our research is opening the question as to whether that's a different amount required for, you know, in the case of prostate men of European versus African genomic ancestry. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click on support us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now, back to the show. What does that mean? Does it, do they have to have a certain level of vitamin D in their serum? Or what? Like what, what, what's the uh, practical application of this? Or are you, it's not there yet? You haven't been able to... Yeah, I, I mean, it's not, it's not for me to say. Oh, yeah, you know, if, you're, if you're an African-American, you should have more vitamin D. Our research is saying we should probably be thinking about that because we can see... Um, we have evidence at the genomic level for how this receptor works as a transcription factor, that it seems to be behaving and functioning in a, in a, in a distinct and more prominent manner in African-American prostate cancer cells than it is in European-American prostate cancer. So that would suggest that it's more responsive to vitamin D. And certainly when we looked at tumors from prostate cancer patients, you know, from African-American men and European-American men, the gene expression profile were much more responsive or reflective of the level of serum vitamin D in the patient in African-Americans than it was in European. 
Well, first of all, where do people get most of their vitamin D from? Is it sun exposure? Is it the food yeah. they eat? Yeah. Is it just yeah. generating inside their body? Like what? Yeah. What would modulate their, their uh, is vitamin D levels? Yeah, I, I, the the primary route for synthesizing vitamin D is, is sun exposure, and, and so exposure um, when you go outside, certainly in you know summer months, very very rapidly make serum vitamin D. Now, you know my ancestry is Scottish and I am, you know, I'm pretty pale. And so if I, I, you know, obviously if I go outside and I live in California now, if I go outside in summer months, I have to be very careful because of course, very quickly my, my skin responds to the sun and, you know, I, I presumably make a lot of vitamin D, but I'm also going to burn it. And so our, our skin um, tone reflects our ancestral uh, adaptation. Um, uh, and obviously we have, uh, uh, we live in a world now where many people don't live in the environment that their ancestors had adapted to. And so skin adaptation is one very profound environmental adaptation that's occurred in our history of how we um, acclimatize to different environments. And I guess our research hints that, well, the, the adaptation to low, high sun exposure was not only uh, loss of melanin content as uh, humans migrated out of Africa, but perhaps it was also uh, reduced prominence of how the vitamin D receptor signals in tissues in which it was critical. Um, okay, so people that have more melanin in their skin, maybe darker yeah. skin folks, yeah. uh, how do they yeah. process and produce vitamin D with yeah. the same sun exposure as someone yeah. that's, you know, fairer skin? Yeah, exactly. That, that you know, so the darker skin and, uh, and African Americans often in America, obviously in America, because African Americans will have a greater risk of having lower serum vitamin D levels, and you know, there's all sorts of levels of evidence for that. And so, yeah, so that because of this reduced ability or higher melanin content, reducing the ability of given sunlight to make vitamin D. Okay. I don't know, is there any administration of vitamin D, let's let's say through an IV, that would be helpful to people that are undergoing cancer in various stages? Like what uh, what would be the recommendation if someone has low serum levels? Yeah. How much investigation they would be needed yeah. to figure out why the diet is a lack of sun exposure. It's, yeah. You know, they're just not able to produce vitamin D3 because they have a broken pathway. Um, yeah, you know, I don't know. I mean, cause I, low levels? I don't think we're saying it's a broken pathway. I, I think... I mean, obviously, I have to be careful with our choice of words here. And I think we're saying higher melanin content means that for a given unit of sun exposure, there's lower production of vitamin D. Now, the challenge is figuring out when's the point that you can uh, either measure the impact of that or intervene. You're right. So, you know, you can get, you could take vitamin D supplements and very quickly increase the level of, of a, of vitamin D in, in a personal system, but where was the critical point in that person's, you know, life when it was important to have sufficient vitamin D? So, for example, the guy in, you know, uh, so I'm in my mid fifties. A guy in his mid fifties goes to his doctor and he's got rising PSA level. Is it too late at that point to admit it? You know, and we say, oh, look, he's vitamin D deficient. Is it too late at that point to even bother intervening with vitamin D? Honestly, I don't know. You know, would we have had to have done that intervention 
uh, you know, during adolescence or is it during, you know, your 20s or, you know, I think those are very open questions about how you take this, these sorts of, you know, molecular studies and then try and, and, and translate them to human health um, approaches. Okay. Um, are there other folks studying this or do you feel like you're yeah. a lone wolf in the uh, no. industry? Or what? <laughs> I don't think I'm a lone wolf. I think, yeah, I, there are other people studying this. Um, we are the first group to probably do it at this level of um, this genomic level. So, and we is again, you know, it's a, I have a long-term partnership with a group, uh, a colleague and a friend called Clayton Yates. And one of the things that Clayton had done uh, a few years back was to establish the cell models from African-American prostate cancer patients. So we were the first people to do what you call, you know, CHIP-seq or sophromic study in European versus African-American cells of the vitamin D receptor. Just at the end of last year, someone did it for the, uh, Salma Kachar at Baylor did it for the androgen receptor in prostate cancer. And, and she showed that the androgen receptor was binding seemingly in distinct patterns in African-American versus European-American prostate cancer patients. Uh, as far as I'm aware, so far, that's the only two studies that have looked at transcription factor function in the context of health disparities at the level of where these transcription factors bind, you know, across races. So, yeah, we're not alone. So some of the things we did, yes, we were the first to do it. But obviously, you know what it's like with research. You're, you know, if you've had an idea, you can guarantee a thousand other people have got the same idea. (laughs) It's it's a collective effort, isn't it? Yep, I got you. Um, Quick question here about vitamin D. I've I've always heard about vitamin D3. Uh, Is that the only uh, available form or what forms are necessary? Yeah, so vitamin D3 is the active. So one, uh, one alpha twenty-five dihydroxy vitamin D3 is the active ligand uh, that then binds to this receptor and turns on genes. Um, but there are, as with all kind of metabolic cascades in the in the body, there are precursors that are made, and uh, some of those precursors form a kind of uh, a pool from which the the active one can be synthesized rapidly. So yeah, there. There are lots of different forms, but 125D3 is the active hormone. Okay. No, well, I, and maybe that, that point about the active, you know, the active one or the, the active, you know, so there's pro-hormone, the active hormone, and which ones we should measure and how they all relate to it, whether it's bone health or prostate health, you know, those are, and in some ways those are still quite areas of active investigation. And, you know, it's not really an area I, focus on but i'm aware of that people think very seriously about wh- which one should we be studying and which ones are the critical ones you know so are uh, one uh, certain are the pro hormones buffering the active hormone and those sorts of questions okay well very good murray what's the best way for people to find out more about your work where can they go that's a good point i guess uh, obviously cedar sinai and then you know the paper was published so i mean that's publicly available so obviously pop med searches finds me so yeah, that's what I would say. And it was funded by the um, Department of Defense through their Prostate Cancer Health Disparities Program. Um, so, Okay. Well, very good. Well, Larry, thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, I, I'm really grateful. I hope I was able to answer your question. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. 
If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.